1: I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and the shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting fields of endeavor. I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria.
2: Hello, John.
1: Who's our first guest this week?
2: Our first guest founded Magnify Brewing in Fairfield, New Jersey in 2015, realizing a dream he had since college. Finding a suitable location and clearing the hurdles of getting started wasn't easy. But his well-crafted beers, especially his New England IPAs, quickly won magnified brewing ardent fans in the Garden State and beyond.
1: Welcome to the Beer Hour, Eric Ruda. Thank you very much for joining us today. And uh, Pleasure to have you on. Thanks
3: for having me. Appreciate I feel, it.
1: I feel I was talking to uh, talking to Rocco. I think we're very like uh, northeast uh, based for. <laughs> we <laughs> have been.
0: We've been yes. New Jersey, Pennsylvania. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. We need like five Nor- more guys from Philly. A lot of you Maine. Know. Yeah. Yeah. it Just sort of happened that way. <laughs> So I'm going
1: to kind of jump into this, we kind of always kind of go back and uh, see where it kind of all started. So did you grow up in northern New Jersey? I mean, are we talking like soprano's country, like uh, like you know where uh, where' did you grow up at?
3: Yeah, yeah, I grew up in northern New Jersey, uh, slightly more north than where the brewery is, but uh, talking about soprano's country, actually Caldwell and West Caldwell where. Tony lives, is literally five minutes from the brewery. So, uh, <laughs> Soprano country.
2: Well, now we get distroed in Jersey. Hi, Eric. What's going on? Um, so, we need to go pay uh, Magnify a visit we go up there. to do yeah, a yeah. Soprano. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah, the only... uh yeah. I mean, listen, I've been to Jersey plenty of times, but I think the only... I lived the, the in the, Jersey. Right, right, I, right. But, I mean, the only... <laughs> I was born
0: and raised in Jersey. We went up in the Jersey thing. <laughs> yeah.
1: So... But I think the only time we've been to, to Jersey like was census, for Augie. We got on the ferry and went to Carton. Yeah. 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 Yeah so,
2: yeah. so hold on. How far is North Bergen from you guys?
3: Oh, close. Close. 20 minutes. That's where I live. Actually, from where I live, I live in Hoboken. It's like 10 minutes. Okay. From you where live, I live in
2: Hoboken. Nice.
1: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So when did you first experience craft beer? And what was that kind of aha beer that kind of lit the fire for you?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So my story sort of is that that uh, I went to school in Maine, so I went to uh, I went from North Jersey up to Bates College, which is like 45 minutes or so north of Portland okay. uh, in Lewiston. and uh, you know typical college experience drank a lot of you know bud light at parties and stuff like that. <laughs> right. And then um, part of uh, my major was I, ha- I was an environmental studies major and I had to do an internship in ES in some way. and uh, there was a brewery down the road called uh, Baxter. And they had an internship, but they, a lot of their marketing was environmentally friendly. So they were the first three to can all their beer, like all their, their core beers, uh, which was like pretty novel at the time. Um, they uh, only purchased wind power. They donated all their spent green. So I kind of could write that off as like an environmental internship. So I, I interned there a couple days a week for a couple years and, you know, at, working there at, at 21, I'm like, oh. I I can grab some free beer. Okay. This works. So I remember, you know, the first time I had their IPA, uh, it's, it's a little bitter, but I was, you know, taken back at first, but you know, as you know, it's free beer. So, (laughs) you know, drinking it over and over, I'm just like, man, you know, then you start to crave it. And I was like, Holy crap. Like this, this is, you know, all of a sudden you go to parties and I'm like, not really able to drink what's there. Um, you know, that sort of, you know, that sort of did it for me.
1: Nice. So, so you took this, this, this internship, you know, from the college at Baxter Brewing in Maine. What else? I mean, is this really where you started to learn about the brewing process beyond like the environmental studies? I mean, did you really, uh, was that the point that it was kind of like you started getting in depth with the knowledge yes. of the first beginnings of brewing?
3: Yeah, yeah. The, the internship honestly had nothing to do with environmental studies. It just <laughs> got me in the door. <laughs> and it got me credit. It got me uh, class credit for it. So, uh, yeah, but it was sort of rotational. So I did a little bit of everything, which I thought was super valuable. So, you know, helped on the canning line, helped, you know, shadow people in production, helped with, uh, you know, did some days on the road with the reps, like, well, went with the marketing people, which, you know, they kind of let me do whatever I uh, I kind of asked, which was really, really cool. And like, I'm not saying I did the most meaningful stuff there. But just to be around them and just to like, you know, be there and be a part of it. And and while I was there, they were expanding like 4X. They added, I think six, 240 barrel fermenters, which is crazy, crazy. Um, Super exciting time. And you're just like, wow, this is awesome. There's explosive growth. Like this is just the coolest thing ever. Just loved it. You know, even though what I was doing wasn't, you know, uh, you know, super instrumental with their success at all, but uh, just ended up loving it. And then, Uh, my girlfriend at the time was a year older and she worked in Portland for while I was a senior and she was uh, she was graduated and I would spend a lot of weekends down there in Portland and go to different breweries, go to restaurants and just like, you know, that's where it really, really clicked where I started getting into like the food and beer scene and, and just, just loved it, you know, just all of a sudden couldn't get enough, you know, nice. that's where it really, really started.
1: Nice. So, at, like, at what point, I mean, was this, like, senior year or along this journey, was it after college that the idea of opening your own brewery kind of came to fruition?
3: Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. After seeing, like, the excitement that I was having and that other people were having around craft beer in Maine, you know, I would come home on breaks, and I'd be like, there's there's nothing around. You know, like, you know, at that time, the exciting breweries in, in New Jersey were, were Kane and carton, and they were an hour 15, hour 20, hour 30 minutes away. And, uh, that's just like, I know people do it and I know people, you know, come to Arbury from farther than that, but to go every weekend is asking a lot. So we were trying to build something up in North Jersey where I was from, that's more local. So we could build that, you know, same community that Kane and Carton had down the shore or that, you know, Bissell brothers was building in Maine, um, and, and do that up in North Jersey that just, there was, there was really not much around at all.
1: So there were no breweries in North Jersey at this time.
3: Not not none, but um, I think overall we're we like super innovative and trying to do really cool stuff and right. keep people really excited. Right. And there's a couple breweries that were around that just have been around forever and make a really great beer, but they're not like they don't necessarily excite people week in a week out like we try to do. You know, right. just like you know, different strokes for different folks. But um, you know, they were you know, open in the early 2000s or something like that. Right, right. Com-
1: completely different uh, mindset as far as brewing styles go and innovation totally. it was more classical style beers and versus more cutting edge stuff yeah. like that what you guys are doing so
2: yeah so then
3: go oh, ahead
1: sorry. go ahead
3: oh, so then uh, to, to get credit for a uh, another class we have this at Bates there's uh you do two semesters and then you do the second semester ends in like April okay. and then you do a five-week course and uh, another like internship was uh uh five weeks where I could like I started writing my business plan before that, but five weeks of like writing my business plan was also another course of that. So really? I basically graduated. Yeah, I got. Hey, that's a system, man. You got to take advantage <laughs> of it where you can. So no, it was actually super valuable, though, for real. But uh, but yeah, it was great. It was. It was. And then I graduated, and I was like, wait, are, are we really going to do this? And uh, yeah, the answer was yeah. So here we are. <laughs> <laughs> so so, what were like
1: some of those initial challenges when you were looking? for a space to open your brewery?
3: So what we did was we would, we, we were looking at spaces and then the, you know, as soon as we looked and we were like, okay, like I could see this. We basically went to the town uh, each town and was like, Hey, I want to open a brewery with a tap room here. Are you okay with this? Would you accept that? You know, because I, I've heard of a lot of people who, who, you know, even friends we have today, like, like Aslan had a lot of time in, with their, their Herndon spot, um, that they now have a tap room and, you know, and that was relatively recently. Right. right. So we, we would, um, go to towns and meet with the mayors or the building department and saying, are you okay with this use in this space and honestly probably 10 12 15 places were just like oh you're gonna operate a bar? no we don't want that um but we ended up in fairfield which is uh has been amazing it, it's super centrally located which is uh which is is perfect for self-distribution which we do um it's it's we built a huge community around this area it's awesome but they had another brewery and they had one distillery and i think they now have a two or three distilleries in town so it's a very industrial town there's a lot of manufacturing um and they were like oh of course yeah absolutely come so um we ended up there and now i think there's yet two breweries and three distilleries in town um but they were like of course of course come to town so they had no issue at all
1: what were some of the um i'm trying to remember you guys can have tap rooms right
3: Or no, you cannot. Yes. No, we can. The laws are super weird, though. But, you know, obviously when we opened, though, like seven and a half years ago, tap rooms weren't really a thing. Right. So, like, even in our business plan, right, like, we didn't really plan on making any money out of the tap room. It was more just, you know, anything is extra to help pay the bills kind of thing. Um, But, yes, in New Jersey, if you want to come drink a beer or take a, you know, even a a short quart, right, you have to technically take a tour. Um, which ah. is, a, it's vague. Um, but yeah, if you don't do that and the ABC catches you, like it, it's a pretty significant, um, uh, you know, issue. Right. It, it's, it's no joke. It's no joke. So uh, although it sounds like a joke, um, that you have to take a tour, um, which we hand out like this tour card, of like the brewing process. And we, we explain to you that we're rotational and we have, you know, here's the four new beers that we have this week. And, you know, we explain that to you. Um, but it's, it's very serious. It, it's kind of crazy.
2: When you said that it's vague, does it mean that you could be like, this is your tour and then just hand them the card?
3: The way a lot of breweries were doing that, we're, we're not even doing that. And they basically that it has to be a uh, short conversation between the staff and the, the customer. Oh, so okay. uh, it, we say we tell our staff it needs to be like a 30 second thing of, hey, here's this cool new beer this week. You know,
1: no. Oh, nice. So kind of going back to the subject, like how did you guys finance the opening of Magnify?
3: Uh, that was, so, so I I started out of college. I did have money saved up. Uh, so that was a part of it. And then, uh, some, some money from family and and mostly family and friends. Nice. So, okay. but we, we were a a shoestring operation and and thinking back, I don't know how we did it on, on such a low budget, but we made it work (laughs) and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, we to think back, and then as we, as we grew, we, we basically doubled every year for three years, and we just did it through cash flow, and you know, we started canning, and that was all of a sudden we needed more tanks, so canner lease after canner lease, and hey, when there's some money in the bank, let's buy a tank, let's buy a tank, let's buy a tank, and chipping away.
1: Nice, nice. So what like when you guys first set up, what was your setup like when you guys first opened? What was your brewing setup
3: we, like? We had a 10-barrel brew house, and then uh, four 20s and one bright. So, not a lot. Um, And really where it took off is we, we, I remember like eight or nine months in, we made our first hazy IPA, and I just, we weren't even canning at that point, and we just were, we've never sold so many growlers before, and I was like, oh man, we we need to can this. And uh, the rest is history, (laughs) as they say.
1: So, at what point, like, uh, did you meet your head brewer, Eric?
3: Yeah, so, so... That is a is a little bit of an interesting story. So I right now do a lot of like sales, marketing, HR, a little bit of everything like business wise. And Eric oversees all the production. He's our, our our head of production. So everything beer related. Um, we met on uh, Pro Brewer, which is like they do classifieds and and, right. and it's like a brewing industry website for those who don't know. Um, and he did a lot. He actually brewed at Greenpoint, which is no longer there, but sam from other half was actually uh his boss which is kind of cool um then he moved out to california had a couple brewing jobs there and worked especially at a contract brewery so he had like five or six years of experience at that point point. and actually what i really liked about him was that he had so much contracting experience where he's like you know he's not at that point you know 10 years ago people were making you know their four core beers for the most part and you know seasonals and then limited releases here and there but i love that he had made like you know hundred plus beers commercially at like, you know, a 20 or 30 barrel system, uh, level. So, um, he posted something that said he wanted, he's from Philly and he wanted to move back to Philly. And I said, uh, it's, it's not Philly, but it's also not California. So it's a little closer. Uh, (laughs) and right. Yeah. And it, and it it worked. He's been with us since before day one and we have an amazing relationship and he makes some awesome, awesome beer. So I, we couldn't, it's worked out incredibly well. Couldn't be happier.
1: How would you describe his brewing style? You would say
3: uh, he is is he's he's down for whatever he, he's he at the beginning. He was a little bit, you know, when I came to him and I was like, you know, we should maybe try this or try that or smoothie styles or these insane pastry styles or this or that. You know, he may have been a little bit like, man, I don't know what I'm getting into. But, you know, I think he's really taking taking it on as actually more of like a challenge at this point, like nothing's off limits. You know, we made like a literally a Kool-Aid sour this week, last week with, with Kool-Aid, like literally it's bright red and the taste. It's a five, six percent Kool-Aid sour that nice. literally just tastes like an alcoholic children's drink. It's insane. But, you know, I could see a lot of people rolling your eyes, but we like to experiment. We like to do cool stuff. And we only actually have one core beer and everything else is rotational. And to me, that's the most fun thing. Like I, he loves it. He gets, you know, is it hard? Is there a lot of uh, logistical issues and, and, you know, a lot of churn? Yeah, absolutely. But to me, that's more fun than making, you know, half of our production the same beer, you know?
1: Right. I mean, you, you guys really led with, obviously, like the New England style IPAs out the gate when you guys first opened. Like, yeah. And then, obviously, you've kind of morphed into this. How have your beer offerings changed since that, like, that opening you would say?
3: Yeah, so when we first started canning was maybe like six months after Other Half started canning and we're maybe no traffic, 30 minutes, worst case, maybe an hour from Other Half driving. So we had a lot, early on, we had a lot of the same customer base. Um, Those people from Northern Injury, those driving on Saturdays to to grab their cans. Um, So we were, all of a sudden, we we just didn't have enough tank space and we, you know, when you can sell that much hazy IPA, we just, we made a ton of it. Um, But all of a sudden, you know, as we we doubled and then doubled again, we, we had, room to kind of do what we wanted so it slowly morphed into some sours you know we now we we try to keep uh, you know a couple hard seltzers on we try to keep um at least a lager or two on we try to keep not just smoothie sours but also the you know re sours because not everybody wants something super thick you know we, we do a bunch of pastry stouts we do like a range of ipas we do a bunch of west coast ipas we really try to to have something because we realize that not everybody just wants hazy IPA, obviously. Right, right. So, so to me to offer a bunch of different styles and, you know, the same way smoothie beers are super hot, but also not everybody wants to be drinking, you know, a beer that's 30 or 40% fruit. And that's totally fine. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's true. like Very, that's true. also, I got no problem with that. Right? right. So, so that's where he, I think Eric has done an amazing job is he just, he's fearless and down to, you know, to me, he sees it like a challenge. And I think like, Offering more than just a handful of styles is 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 uh, is hard. It's really yes. really difficult yes. to, to nail that many styles week in a week out, and he nails it every time, which nice. is it, it blows my mind week you know every week. But nice.
1: is is Vine Shine still your most popular beer?
3: Yes, it is, and that's the beer that like nobody knows from us, but we sell a lot of it. What <laughs> what what is it? it?
1: What is it exactly? It's
3: like a it's like a East meets West Coast IPA. So it's. Uh, kind of juicy, but it's, it's a little bright. It's with Chico and, uh, yeah, it's on tap at like 200 bars in New Jersey. It's at Jeez. like 200 liquor stores in New Jersey, but, um, yeah, nobody knows it though, I guess out <laughs> <At> of <a, laughs> state, but it, we, we sell a lot of it, like 20 or 25% of our production is that actually. Um, but yeah, like when we send stuff out of state, uh, we never send that. We it's, it's a really good price point. It's super solid. Like you can drink it every day. Right. Um, but nobody, yeah, that, People I think, especially when we send distro out of state, people want something that's super exciting. You right. know, if, if you're gonna get a really good price point IPA, just go to your local brewery for that. Right. You don't need like, you know, a thirteen, fifteen dollar IPA from me from New Jersey if you're in, you know, Massachusetts. Right. Go to Right Widowmaker for that or something. So yeah. but
1: why do you think Vineshine hit so hard with the people in Jersey?
3: I just think it well, we sell a lot on draft. So right. I think it, part of it is that it's six and a half percent. and then It head high also maybe is part of it, like pain sells so much head high that it's, it's a, I think people can kind of relate to that. It's a super drinkable, it's on tap. It's a really good price point and people are used to somewhat of a similar beer through head high, I think. Um, and then, you know, we're mostly known for double IPAs, but that's a harder sell on tap. So we sell most of those in cans. So, uh, most of our businesses is is can as opposed to draft. Okay. for that reason. So what, uh, Also, our taproom is small. So. Right, right.
1: What would you say your split is, I mean, draft versus can at this point?
3: Oh, it's like 90-10 or something like that's that. What I, that that's what 10. I was going
1: to say, probably 90-10. Yeah,
3: honestly, maybe even more. <laughs> it, <laughs> it, pre, pre-pandemic, no, pre pre-pandemic, we were we were selling a ton of kegs, a ton of kegs, but um, it, it started to come back. It sort of slowed down a little bit, but we sell all the beer we make regardless, so you know, we'd rather make sure that we sell it than build up this, this keg supply. So, um, you know, it's just bars are, it's, it's a tough time for the restaurant business right now. It's just, it's, it's a fact.
1: I agree. You know, what is your annual production at? Like right now,
3: right now we're at, uh, roughly like 3,500 barrels, maybe a little more. Nice. So it's, it's, it's not nothing at all, but it's, uh, it's, we're not huge, but we're not nothing.
1: I mean, 3,500 barrels is still a lot of beer, man. I mean, you yeah, think about yeah. it gallon wise and you start breaking it down, it's still a lot of beer. Obviously, you know, we're around the same scale as you, around 3,500 to 4,000 barrels. It's a lot of beer. Obviously, it's not 20, 50, 100,000 barrels, but still, I yeah, mean, it's no a thanks. lot of beer, man. I'm, I'm good. Yeah, I'm,
3: I'm good with
1: being where I'm at. No thanks.
3: yeah Yeah. no even even 300 barrels it's still you know you gotta really be strategic and know what you're doing and and have a plan you can't just show up and oh oh man the cold box full. what are we doing no we like we know where the bear's going before it's even packaged you know so it's uh we've you know earlier maybe you know four or five years ago three years ago you could have just made it and most of it's out the front door but the pandemic has kind of helped maybe push the industry forward more where you know people are have less uh it, beer is more accessible. And, and right. so now, like, you know, we really focused this last year on like creating a plan and where is it going? How are we selling it? What are we making? You know, how can we have like a, a wide range of products that are going to attract the most people and um, still be exciting?
1: Nice. Nice. So I, I know you really lean into your, like your New Jersey heritage as a brand. How would you describe the craft beer scene in northern New Jersey now compared to when you opened?
3: When we we actually opened um like the same week or like a week before or a week after this this breeze down the road that we're good friends with Brick City, they opened. Uh Twin Elephant opened pretty uh close to our time. Uh there there's a bunch. I mean, it's not northern New Jersey, but we're good friends with D ninety six too. They're they're right across the border. So right around our time, um, people kinda got the same idea that I did, I guess. And, and instead of being, you know, you know, the, all the breweries down the shore or down in South Jersey where um, real estate is also a lot cheaper. Um, a lot of places start to open, so it, it, it's it's exploded. It, it's you know, not everybody also wants to go into Brooklyn every week. You know, it's right. it's, it's yeah. a hype. No. no way. So, <laughs> so it's I mean it's awesome, but it, it's a hike. You know, so yeah. it's New Jersey's northern New Jersey, especially you know the the top third of the state and maybe like northeastern part of the state is, is huge now and making really really good beer. Nice, nice. It. I got like
1: one last question for you here to kind of round this out. Like if you could go back and give your younger self some advice about starting a business, what would that be?
3: Don't change a thing. Do it exactly as you did. I was, I honestly, I, the advice would be the advice that I'd more give to other people is, is go for it, man. Just, you're going to regret it. If not my, I, I still remember when we signed our five year lease, um, our first, our first one, that was the, literally the scariest day of my entire life. I, I like, I was physically ill for like two days. I'm like, Oh my God, we're actually doing this. And <laughs> I, I've never been more like, Oh, I, it's, it, it's bringing me back to some trauma. Actually. It, it's bad. It's real. it was really, really scary. And, um, you know, in hindsight, what did I do? I lived at home. I spent no money. I spent you know, 80, 90, a hundred hours a week for three years, you know, busting my ass working. And, but to be honest with you at 22, 23, 24, 25, that's the time to do, I have, I have nothing to my name. You know, I I put every dime I had in there. I'll tell you what, if I had a wife and kids and a mortgage and a car payment, no way would I be able to do this? No way. So I think actually, you know, people who are, are younger, Hey, go for it. And if you make mistakes, you know, every mistake that I made along the way, we're better for so I, I don't really regret much, if, if anything. But the biggest thing that I'm thankful for is that we're, we're able to, you know, I was able to take a risk, and you know, my parents let me live at home, and you know, I, I was able to to, to to do that and work a hundred hours a week and, and do nothing else but work. But if I had two kids, I, I don't know how I could do that.
1: Right, I understand that. I mean, trust me, I I I, I fully how, understand. How hard was
3: that for you? I was. How very, hard it was that? very
1: hard. I mean, I left a you know a very well-paying job
2: a cushy job behind well, a desk
1: well right i mean it was a very well-paying job cushy job you know nine to five and then to take that leap at 33 years old with three kids to yeah. go go and work for 10 an hour and basically move to tampa to work that to learn how to run you know and get involved in a brewing business to even see if this was, was something I wanted to do. I mean, my heart was in it, but it was a massive leap. I mean, it it was still a gamble, you know what I mean? It's still a gamble, but you know, it paid off, but it's still kind of like what you said, like either you take that, you know, leap of faith and dive in or just don't do it. You know what I mean? It it may not always work out. I mean, how much of this do you think is luck?
3: Um, a lot, <laughs> a lot of it. Yeah. I mean, I busted my ass. I'm not gonna lie to you. No, no, but no. I think we, right, we, we've we've right. all
1: worked hard. We've worked we're very yeah. hard. But is,
2: is it luck or timing though?
1: Uh, well, because time has to do with luck. Yeah, I think luck and timing have a lot to do with each other, and I think it's being in the right place at the right time, and opening at the right place in the right time. And having those beers that are attractive at the right place in the right time—that kind of launched a lot of us. Eric included us. I mean, so
2: all the stars need to align. I is mean, it's a, it's a lot of luck.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think it's a lot of luck. You know what I mean? And but now there's more and more of us. But those of us that started seven, eight years ago are kind of rooted and cemented in this. And the guys that keep still pushing the envelope, like like Eric, you know, we're still out there, and I, I don't think we're ever going away. But I think a lot of that was a lot of timing and luck,
3: you know, just a lot of luck.
2: Do you think the biggest challenge now, Eric, is kind of staying relevant?
3: A hundred percent. That's absolutely without a doubt. I think because, you know, before you're the new kids on the block. No one's ever tried it before. Um, people are trading for it. But now, you know, we've been in business for seven and a half years. People have had our beer. And that that's the hardest thing. When Eric and I sit down and we, we do the schedule, you know, it's 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 hard. It's hard to say, how are we reinventing and how are we keeping people excited every week? That's the most fun part of the job though. Like that's the challenge that I love. Like I truly love when people are super excited to get this new beer that has whatever in it, or, you know, this new hop or, or this crazy new smoothie sour, or whatever it is, this barely stout. out. That's the most exciting thing, but to stay relevant is, is, is tough when you're not the new kid on the block anymore.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for joining us, brother. It's been a great conversation and, uh, I'm sure we'll see you very soon
3: at uh, a festival again, hopefully uh, a Wakefest. Are you again. going
2: to Snally? Oh, yeah. Uh, I can't,
3: actually. I can't. Oh. I have a wedding that day that I'm in, unfortunately. Oh. Okay. Can't well. get out of that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. so, All right, brother. Yeah. Well, it was good talking
1: to you, man, and uh, have a good day.
3: Appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
1: You're listening to The Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield. Conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture
2: guest played center for the University of Miami 2001 National Championship football team. He was a consensus All-American, a Dave Remington Trophy winner, given to the best center in the nation, and a three-time first-team All-Big East winner. He's a University of Miami Sports Hall of Fame member, a former NFL player, a former sports talk radio host, and a longtime friend and collaborator of ours. He's here to talk a little college football, which kicks off in earnest tomorrow.
1: Welcome to the Beer Hour, Brett Romberg. Thank you very much for uh, joining us in the tap room today.
0: Thank you for having me, man. It's been a while since I've been in here. It's a lot of new artwork. The place oh, yeah. is obviously the best looking brewery here in Winwood. <laughs> I love this place. Well, it's, now we actually get
1: you on the radio versus when you had us on the radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Rolls reversed. So you grew up in Ontario, Canada.
0: Yeah, man. Canuck, right across the border.
1: Was... Football a fallback because you weren't a good ice hockey player or
0: uh no football was uh, was even like a third choice to be honest really with. yeah football was as far down the road as possible um, the hockey thing was one summer uh, because I grew out of my equipment immediately and everybody knows that has ever seen <laughs> hockey equipment it ain't the cheapest thing on the shelf and my parents were like no way I'm uh, I'm gonna be continually rotating you out of equipment so and then in right. the summers I was a big uh, uh, Throughout even like the springs and everything, I was a big travel baseball guy. So I played nice. for, you know, the Team Canada. I was, oh, I was, wow. actually wanted to be a pro baseball player, to be honest wow. with you. Wow. So, yeah, that was, that got to about my 17th birthday, and all the scouts were there and MLB scouts, and it, I had to make a decision. Oh, ultimately. wow. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, so actually, you were like a tremendous all around athlete at Bell River District High School. Oh, in yeah. Winter. Yeah, I ended up doing <laughs> the track
0: and field thing too. You know, I right, set so, some records.
1: Right. You, you held the Ontario High School shot put record, yeah. and you were a provincial. Javelin champion, yeah, you man. Al- you also played basketball, yeah, and represented Team Ontario and played for Team Canada in baseball. Yep. At, at what age did you switch and decide
0: that football was going to be your focus? Oh God, it was. Um, it was. It was probably my ego. Uh, when, <laughs> once I started, once I started filling up one of the drawers with letters from colleges, right. uh, American colleges predominantly. Right. I was in the ninth grade in Canada. We call it grade nine, um, which is actually. Is it still nine or? Yeah, because you guys have 13. We did, yeah. I think in Ontario we called it the OAC year, which is the 13th year of high school, right? Right. And that's predominantly done in in Ontario, where it's ultimately your first year of college, because in Canada you only do three years of college at that point in time. So um, I was going, I was in the ninth grade, and I started getting looks from scouts that would come into town to look at our high school program, because our high school program was actually a pretty legit program. We won All Canada one year, and we were always a very competitive program, coached very well. And uh, they would come in town and take a look like some of the schools like Marquette or Colgate, you know, the northern schools, maybe the right. of Michigan State or something. Right. Coming in and taking a peek at a couple of our talented athletes that we had. And aside from the beer drinking and bar fighting, you know, guys needed to go ahead and vent some of their energy elsewhere. Right. And uh, they were like, oh, where's that kid going? And then my high school football coach was like, "No, oh, he's a baseball player. He's he's in the ninth grade. And they're like, pardon me. So obviously I was a little bit bigger than the other kids and I was more in tune with. Trying to pick up girls, so I was more of a weight room kind of guy. You know, okay. <laughs> um, I'd spend hours at the gym and uh, doing it for doing it for the women, not for the sports or the right. recognition. So, but then eventually, my high school football coach was like, "You could really do something um, if you really put your mind to it." And he was also my track coach and my basketball coach. So, oh wow, basically a big. mentor like a huge mentor
1: so that that's what i was gonna say like across all the sports you played was there really one coach that really encouraged and inspired you in those early days
0: absolutely john bloomfield yeah john bloomfield and i i I mentioned him at my hall of fame speech i invited him down here to the university of miami hall of fame when i got inducted back in 13 and bloomfield was uh, a huge huge influence in my life he mean bastard like just mean but <laughs> offensive lineman mean you know okay, what I mean? Like oh, yeah he, i know that he wanted to create you know exactly what i'm talking oh, about yeah. he wanted to create structure um he wanted me to stay out of trouble i would always come into school and go hang out with the dirt bags basically right. you know all my buddies that were smoking cigs or joints <laughs> or you know into the beers at 14 15 years mm-hmm. old in the smoking corner smoking right. section and and he would literally stop every morning on the way into work say, get in the goddamn car. And he'd put me in his car and drive me to the back of the parking lot and said, uh, I'm, I'm tired of seeing you there. Like those people going nowhere. So right. you need to, so aside from the, the sports side of things, but the social aspect, he was, a, he was a, he was a huge, huge influence. Wow.
1: That's, that's awesome. I mean, it's great. I think to have those kind of people to point you in the right direction and get you moving in, you know, in that direction and make that kind of change in your life. I mean, it's definitely very impactful for sure. So, you were at one point the second rated best football player in Canada. Yeah. Do you remember your first conversation with someone from the University of Miami, a program that had won four national championships in eight years up to that point?
0: Well, the most intriguing thing, and a lot of people that don't know me or haven't heard about me or listened to me ever speak, I, I never even heard of the University of Miami, which, you know, right. growing up. I've heard. You yeah, told me that. Growing up in the tundra, you don't really hear about the Florida schools, to right. be honest with you. Right. Um, it was more about the Michigan, Ohio states, Nebraska's those type of universities, institutions, which I was receiving letters from as well. But, uh, but at one event, at one combine event, there was a little portly fella running around, and every time I'd see him kind of go by me, he would say, Miami, Miami, Miami. And it ended up being, obviously, my offensive line coach, Arquijo at the University of Miami, oh. legendary guy oh. over there. Yes. And uh, he, said, he said he tripped and fell one night over the border when he was recruiting a bunch of kids out of Michigan, and he came over to this workout to to see what was going on with the Canadian finest kids. Apparently we all gathered at this workout at the university of Windsor right across the border from Detroit. And he saw me and he thought I was undersized. And a lot of the other schools like Michigan and stuff wanted me to play like a defensive lineman position or something like that, right. where uh, a little shorter, I guess right. you could say, because you know, the big 10 and up there and the big corn fed fellas, they're usually six, five or six, four. So right. I was considered relatively small, but he fell in love with my feet, my speed and your footwork. Yeah. Yeah. He loved my footwork. So, He was like, man, I'm going to give this kid a shot. I came down to the University of Miami Butch Davis football camp. Mm. I remember Arthur was driving me to the airport, and uh, he was like, look, man, I'm really sorry to make you come down here. I I apologize. And I'm kind of looking at him, wondering why he's apologizing to me. Right. And he was like, look coach Davis you know I'm, I'm sorry he didn't offer you and I was like no no he offered me he pulled me in his office and offered me and he, <laughs> that, like that's how that's how out of tune everything was you know at that point in time because they were coming off a five and six season so they they were like in the tank
1: was that was that during the time period they were under suspension
0: just coming off a of suspension yeah okay. so it was the okay. I think it was a 97 so yeah they ended up going five and six I believe that season and then I came in, like I said, with the 13th year, I came in as an early January enrollee. Was so that, I came in in the spring. Was yep. that the Kenny Kelly year? Yeah, yeah, Kenny yeah. Kelly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the baseball player. The out of know. Tampa Catholic. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. look
1: at you. This guy knows his stuff. Yeah, yeah I remember that time.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And that was like, kind of like the birth of Ken Dorsey, too, our quarterback. Yep. That did really well. And I think they started sharing time a little bit towards the end of that season. And Kenny was going to go back and play for the Tampa Bay Rays and that kind of thing. So, yeah, it was, it was the birth of a lot of great things, you know, much like everything in business and in life. It's, you got to go through the shit in order to go ahead and get, you know, the successful stuff going. I mean, <clears throat>
1: so you guys, I mean, obviously, your tenure at the University of Miami, you guys had some great years. I mean, you guys won the national championship in 2001. What do you, what do you remember about that moment in the Rose Bowl when the clock struck zero, man?
0: Ah. Uh, it was it was pretty euphoric to be honest with you because again being a canadian kid we never really traveled you know and right. i grew up my family never really had much money so right. we didn't have we didn't have money to do anything to be honest with you so seeing that group of my family members go out to la or you know right. where, wherever it was the rose bowl obviously is in la but seeing my whole family find ways to scratch together pennies to come out and watch me play football or my Miami family, which was my wife and her family at the time, um, they ended up going out there as well. And I didn't know this. Lo and behold, I had a lot of family that lived in, in California. probably. Oh, wow. um, well, a, a wealthy division. Right, right. There's right, always right, like a wealthy right. spot on the tree somewhere <laughs> down the line. But there was a, a relatively wealthy side of the family that lived out there and my mom's side. And they ended up hosting at like private dinners and at their club and oh wow yeah it was just it was an amazing event so it was not only amazing for me when that clock struck zero but you know it was an amazing experience for my for family whole family too. Yeah, yeah it was it was really cool and it was great obviously to be have the family there to celebrate everything with so it was that the gathering back at the hotel room and there was about three years that it was just incredible life was incredible football was incredible it was the year before where a lot of people have seen probably the documentaries in the 30-for-30s where that season was Butch Davis's season going in playing against the, the Gators at the Sugar Bowl, New Orleans, right. which, again, we should have been playing for a national title that right. year too because we beat Florida State, and that was the year that Florida State played Oklahoma in the national championship. And, and then, they beat them. And they beat them, yeah. It was just yeah. like – it was, it was probably one of the ugliest national championship games too. So it was Did super, you guys have a loss that season or no? Uh, Washington. Yeah, at the, oh, that's the, the one Huskies. where we went up to Washington right. in the top corner of the of the country, and, right. and and yeah, it was it was a it was a good learning point loss in life, right. um, to be honest with you. And then obviously that catapulted us from there on to and, and you spanked the Gators in the Sugar Bowl Oh, <laughs> on the street, you whipped their ass in Bourbon Street, <laughs> that's right. and then uh, and then uh, the following season we ended up going up to the Swamp, and I I made a bunch of, you know. I guess you can say estimates on what the game was going to be at, at the, cause every year, you know, colleges have their conference meetings right. up in New York or right. this year. They're in like North Carolina for the sec and the ACC and right. stuff. So I remember I talked so much trash. I was, I was already Miami bred at that right. point in time. Oh, in my career. You know, I was seasoned. So I learned how to talk junk with the best of them. And, uh, I called out the Gators. I called out the coach. I called out everybody. And, uh, sure enough, if we went up there and whooped their ass, though, like sure. there, there was no doubt. In Gainesville. Oh, in, in Gainesville. Gainesville. In that was amazing. That, yeah. was
1: amazing. that was amazing.
0: So you actually ended up
1: playing nine seasons in the NFL for yeah. three different teams. Yep. The Jags, St. Louis Rams, mm-hmm. and the Atlanta Falcons. What did you learn about leadership and teamwork playing for all those great coaches and being in the trenches with so many great teammates that has helped
0: you in business? Well, that's, that's the one key word, right, is the business. And that's definitely what the NFL is. It's it's more about responsibility, right. business, right. and it's, like, it's, a, it's a meat factory, for, to yeah. be honest with you. it's If you are not able to perform and do your job, there's definitely someone else that is, might be a somewhat of a drop-off, right. not much, right. but they don't care. If, if you're not going to be accountable, responsible, being where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there, and then not putting any kind of bad light or press or any kind of emotion towards the franchise on that, then you're good to go. You, know, you do your homework, you work hard, you study, you, you, know, you do all the other things that... The majority of the other kids take for granted, to be honest with you. There's a lot of talented individuals that are probably way more talented than half the people that are in the NFL, but just couldn't get their shit together. Just Couldn't be responsible, couldn't get up in the morning, couldn't make those proper decisions that a lot of the guys that are there do make. And and whether it's the sacrificing the holidays or family time or whatever it might be, you know, I I could never forget the amount of times that all of my buddies were out partying, having a great time, you know, Making making their priority list a little bit different than mine, to be honest right. with you. And I think that's the biggest game changer is just setting your priorities straight of what is going to be important to you and now, obviously in, in in the near future in the microcosm of things, but then once you look at the macro and whatever you want to achieve in life, like there's so many metaphors from sports to, to life, it's and in business, it's it's incredible. So yeah, yeah, I I, I totally I totally understand. The teamwork aspect of things, the leadership aspect right. of things, guys that have been in the trenches that have seen things unfold that, uh, that you have not at that age and time. Like 21 is totally different, especially in the sports world, than a 28, 29-year-old <clears throat> vested guy that's been there for a long time that has right. been screwed over by management, <laughs> that has not been screwed yeah. over by management. <clears throat> you learn to, just like in corporate America, you learn to play the role. You know what I mean? You have That's the, one of the biggest other understandings is understanding your role. Like, right. You might not be the guy that you thought you were. You right. might have to understand your position on that team. Yeah. might not be the star defensive end. You might right. be the guy that keeps the locker room in check.
1: It's something I've kind of talked to my son because he's obviously – he's just turned 12 now, but he's been playing tackle ball for five years. But it's like understanding your role. He plays quarterback. He does not play O-line. Oh, wow. Yeah, total wow. shift and uh, change there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's a big kid. I mean, he, he would fit on the line, but he's got an arm. And he can move. Oh, so that's awesome. it's it's a little different. But like kinda of understanding your role on the team and where that fits. But also I think football has changed from when I played and from when you played. It has become more and more of a job even at the younger age. Oh
0: absolutely. That's that's another thing that I've been kinda of dealing with, hanging around the University of Miami. It's a job. Yeah, and then now you're starting to throw into the fold the NIL deals, right. the NFT stuff, and then the compensation, and these kids now become almost like their own marketing company. To be right. honest with you, and obviously social media started all that off. Right. Um, I, as awesome as it is, you know, and, it, and it's a great opportunity for these young men to kind of like yeah. treat their selves and their body as a business, right. and it makes it a little bit more.
1: Um, I mean, like what, set what, in stone. what do you think about the NIL thing?
0: I don't like it. I don't. Yeah. I, uh I, I think this is going to kind of bite them in the ass at the end of the day. Well, I,
1: my thought is is I don't mind it to a certain regard as far as like if there was a cap,
0: right? If there was if a if they're cap, finding structure behind it, then, right. if if then there's I think a it's cap, be great. But like a
1: guy comes in like, hey, you, your max is you can make fifty grand a year. Mm-hmm. You know that's fine, but like to be ungoverned, unregulated, yeah. Like kids making four hundred million dollars, yeah, you know, a year, yeah. Like, I mean that's NFL money. Like
0: there's that kid that's coming out of it's uh, going to go to Tennessee. He's like a quarterback that's about to make like 13 million or 15 million right. to go to Tennessee or something right. like that. As a, as a 17, 18 year old kid,
1: like <sighs> he he doesn't even have to go to the NFL. Yeah, and he's already set.
0: Yeah, that's uh, I, I think I think it's going to remove a lot of the passion uh, out of the game. Well, that
1: was that's been one of my big things. Like growing up, even like watching it. NFL's great to me, but like college was always about the passion and. You play with your heart. Absolutely. You're playing with your heart. The fire inside you, you want to beat these guys, rivals, etc. It was never about the money. I mean, you're trying to get to the place that you make money. correct? But it was more about the passion inside you to play the game. I think you're absolutely correct that you're going to steal all that away by now paying these guys.
0: Way too early. And, I, yeah. again, you know, it's, it's very reflective on our current society. And I mean, because the
1: kid making $6 million, like, he don't have to try as hard because, no. like, I mean, hey, do I really need to make it to the NFL? I'm, I already made $6 million.
0: Exactly, and not only that, but you know, you're dealing with kids that are going to be driving around on campus with ridiculous Ferraris, uh, Rolls Royce, Phantoms, like stuff like that. Yeah, especially here in Miami, oh. you know, you have the opportunity for yeah. like the yacht parties and oh, yeah. like getting boats and all the yeah. other stuff that really, for generations of football, is a distraction. Like it, it's 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 weird how this dynamic has perpetuated itself into everything that you are working hard towards the common goal, the team goal, a bunch of men in the locker room working towards one. They've created so much individualism with kids getting certain deals. And and there might be some jealousy involved. And why am I not getting that? Like these kids have a hard enough time trying to figure out why they are playing and why they are not playing. If they're second string or first string. But now you're starting to throw in the fold. Why is a backup quarterback getting a half a million dollars just so he can stay in school?
1: Right. And then you throw in like, I think the other mix, because, it wasn't in, during your time or n- nor my time that the transfer portal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, because uh, <laughs> I, again, you know, I was in really close relationships with the administration and stuff like that during this whole period of the right. transfer portal. But it's not only impacting
1: college, I'm starting to see it at the high school level. Absolutely. Sports
0: wise and business wise. Like, oh, yeah. if you no, think no, yeah. about like, the, it, it's so yeah. intertwining now with, Oh my God! Why aren't I the starting quarterback? Well, maybe because you're not doing the little things that right. will make you the starting quarterback. Right. So now, I, okay, I'm gonna go leave. And I know there's a couple kids in town here that are just floating around from school to school to school. I, and it's like
1: I, I know I know one specifically. Oh, okay, yeah. 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 I mean, he's this will be his third high school in three years. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and yeah. apparently he's
0: not, he's not, and he thinks he's he thinks he's the shit.
1: Because like I'm good buddies with the guys at St. Thomas. That's uh-huh. who my son trains under Wes uh, Carroll.
0: Oh, okay, cool, so, awesome.
1: And you know, he's like. The transfer portal is not only screwing college, it's screwing high school kids because it's closing windows that were open at one time because there should have been a rotation out of players yeah. and opening
0: doors. And now you don't really have that anymore. You're also removing the whole loyalty tag too. It, you know, it's like start something, let's finish it kind of thing. Doesn't
2: yeah. that oh, like make you less uh, attractive to a school maybe? Well, at this point
0: for him, yeah. I just yeah. like, what, what is yeah. it, like? When, right like what is do we
1: he, know is yeah, he going to okay. he come here and then next year he's going to transfer and then transfer and keep transferring so but so obviously you know how to speak on a radio
0: so after you retired was it hard to
1: reinvent yourself after the NFL career
0: absolutely i don't care what anybody says you know everybody says oh no it was a smooth transition no it's right. you you battle demons like you've never battled before in your life because and i tried to cuz it's I, what you've done for so yeah, long. and i'll be i'll be transparent I, you know i i see a shrink you know just right. to like find that, you know, even keel. Um, but, yeah, it's like it's one of those things where you don't, you don't understand and you don't notice what you're going through at the point in time, right? So you're, you're sitting back and you're like, why the hell do I feel like shit or why am I not wanting to get out of bed or why am I having such a hard time? It's because you're dealing with, to put it in perspective, you're dealing with something where you've worked your whole life to be and you've gotten there and you've received the accolades, you've received the money, you've received right. the... The, the notifications of being a superstar, regardless if you're a celebrity or not. Right. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's over with. And it's, right. sometimes it's over with before you want it to be over with or the majority of the time it is. Um, I bowed out nicely. I, I left kind of like perfectly how I wanted to leave. But again, there's nobody cheering for you. There's, right. there's, there's, there's there, you're not getting in the club because you used to be a football player. Right. You're getting in the club because you are a football player. So, or whatever respective sport you're in. So right. that, that transition of reinventing yourself it comes with some bumps and bruises, that's yeah. for sure, you know, and that's why a lot of guys do fall back into the into the media world or, or right. sports, whether it's just trying to keep that locker room feeling of camaraderie right. involved, you know, okay. in your life to make it a smoother transition. Right. Now, you definitely don't miss the banging. Like, no, that's, no. Yeah. Yeah. You, <laughs> you don't miss the banging. Absolutely no, your not. Your body doesn't miss that. No. No, no. no thank God. No. They, 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 he wakes up every day and he tells you, you know, and thank God you're not doing <clears> this anymore. I, I watch it nowadays. and I just, I don't even understand how I even did it. To right. be honest with you. It's. Uh, football is a difficult, difficult sport.
1: Absolutely. It's not for the faint of heart. No, no, no. Physicality is incredible. Oh, absolutely. So college football started last night. Tomorrow is the first college football Saturday of the year. Time for some predictions. Okay. Okay. Which two teams are going to be playing for the national championship in SoFi Stadium in LA on January 9th,
0: 2023? Already, huh? Wow. Uh, are, are, can you ever really factor out Alabama? Like, no, you, not now. You can't, right? No, especially not no. now. Uh, but the Clemson thing—I'm I'm, interested to seeing how much of a rebound this Clemson team yeah. might have. You yeah. know, because we've seen them at the top and at that pinnacle, of top four, playing in the playoffs for a long time now, and then all of a sudden they just have a bum year. Did we see the fall off of Clemson and Dabo, right. or or we got something else coming from behind here? So, and I'm and I'm and I'm really not being a homer and not being a biased person, but. The recent moves here at the University of Miami I think that we will be playing against Clemson in an ACC championship right. this year. right um obviously you know would love to see a playoff run but right. I don't know if we're at that level yet but but yeah so you, you can't really count out an Alabama uh playing in uh in LA and then what else who else would I go with
1: I I think I think Ohio State's overrated. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I hate Ohio State I know that. anyway. So yeah. do I. Yeah. So They can really disappear from I
1: football. mean, that's yeah. a given. I hate Ohio State. It's horrible. But do
0: you think something possibly up north? I do. It could, could, uh, can, can be a fighter, huh? I do. Who are yeah. you thinking? You know who I really want to be perfectly honest with you? I want to see us play against Wisconsin again and actually finally win a game against Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah. We got our ass handed to us by Wisconsin so many times in the yeah. last five, six years that I'm just – I'm kind of over it at this point in time. Play the Badgers again. Yeah, I I'd like, like yeah, to do that. And uh, frown them. Yeah. Uh, Who are you thinking from up north you think might pop in there? Man. I mean,
1: I, I do like Michigan. Yeah. I, I, but they always kind of fold at the end. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to see them kind of go for if, if we're talking like big, big Ten teams, I mean, I think them um, – Texas a AM I don't think is a bad team, but you gotta get past Alabama. You know?
0: So you think this game against Texas AM and I, I, Miami I, I think in a if of weeks Miami beats be awesome? them,
1: I think I think we're on a good track. Got it. You Got know it. what I mean? But I mean it's in It's up there, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's yeah. that's a tough area. Yeah, there's, there's really nothing else out. going
0: on. Yeah, there's nothing else going on over there. No. No, I know.
2: How do you feel about the crystal ball, the Ed yeah. Reed, the
0: I'm in love with it. Yeah. I'm in love with, I, I think
2: we all are, but you know, it's nice to hear from,
0: yeah, that we were, we were, a, you know, there was a couple of us that they were kind of hanging out and talking with and consulting with and, and getting our opinion and our view on how we were going to go about moving forward. But the best thing that happened to our university was Kirk Herbstreet slamming us on national television and, oh. and it was, it was the best, best cause Kirk was like, he was talking to me about it and like immediately cause our AD was blowing up his phone right. at that point in time, Blake was like losing his mind because he didn't hear it live. And neither did the president of our school. Ooh. It was one of those where, did you just hear what just happened on game day? And, oh, my God. And then panic mode. And then now the president of the school finds out. And then within 24 hours, a mass email goes out to the student body right. and the alumni, reassuring how devoted that the program was going to be moving right. forward in athletics. So It was, it was a wake-up call. Huge. Because I, I mean,
1: I've been a fan since I was a kid and always wanted to play there did not but I still love the team to death but this past kind of decade yep. or more mm-hmm. it's I feel like they've been just on cruise mode
0: totally they rode the wave of, of what we accomplished right. you know, all the way through 2003 and then yeah ultimately it was after Butch Davis's last recruiting class everything kind of slid yep. you, you know I had the one the one year with Mark Richt where the turnover chain came out and, you know oh, we had that nice yeah. that nice gimmick yeah. going on and but uh yeah, it's been smoke and mirrors for the most part since then. And, and finally, you know, finally, the school is now back invested in athletics and realize the importance of Miami football and college athletics.
1: So I got one last question for you, though. Like, do you think we'll get back to that day? Or do you think we're always going to be kind of fighting this kind of subpar almost there? Or do you think Cristobal is going to make this change? And ha- I think Mario is going to make it happen. Yeah.
0: And, uh, I mean, he's a hometown guy. He's a hometown guy, and he's a hard frickin' worker, man. There's a yeah. no reason why he worked for Saban for so long and right. won National Recruiter of the Year, and the reason why he's there at 4 in the morning and doesn't leave until yeah. 11 o'clock at night, he's, he's leaving no stone unturned. And I know there's so many cliches that you could throw at it, and right. people felt high about Rick, people felt high about Manny, but if anybody's been over there lately and has seen the, the difference, the dynamic, I know the kids are saying it, but... It's better than Al Golden, Mario, so. oh, <laughs> Christ, anything's better than that guy. I, I knew it was different the day I showed up at practice, and I watched Mario grab a kid off the floor, rip him up, an offensive lineman, like, rip him up, and say, you never lay on my ground here. This is sacred ground. Ooh. Never lay okay. down. I better never see you. And I was just like, oh, yeah, it's a, it's official. Oh, like, good. It's official. Good. Yeah, it's good. official. <laughs> and Mario, for those that don't know about Mario, Mario's Mario's got a, a loose switch. He's a he's a He was an tech. offensive lineman. He was an lo- offensive lineman that got into – Gracie school of jiu-jitsu that oh. was just a monster with that and right. then you know he, he wanted to kick the crap out of people all day long all the right. time and <laughs> and he was he was a little sounds loopy sounds like an offensive lineman yeah he's a little loopy <laughs> a lot of people see the reserved suit and tie guy but once yeah. he starts gripping that podium and like yeah. staring at you you know it's it's on like donkey kong right? that's amazing
1: yeah. well Thank you very much for joining us, brother. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Oh, and, my pleasure! Uh, glad to finally get you out here and sit down and talk some football and uh, about you, man.
0: Oh, hell yeah! Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, and thank you for inviting me to this gorgeous brewery here. <laughs> I, I, the listeners they got to come by and just check this thing out. It's incredible. Thanks
2: for the plug, bro.
0: Yeah, you all, oh, you've got to believe it. Jay Wakefield, Winwood, <laughs> you know it. <laughs> all right, cheers. That's it for this
1: week. I'd like to thank our guests Eric Rutter and Brett Romberg, our co-host Marie Cabre our producer Rocco Riggio, and our editor Brian O'Connell. Thanks for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.